And so if we haven't met, my name is Eli Finley, and I'm the youth pastor here at the church. I'm glad to be teaching for you this weekend. Uh, we'll be in the book of First Peter. So First Peter chapter 2, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles or scroll in your Bible, however you're going to get there, head to First Peter chapter 2. That's where we'll be this weekend. And so I'm kind of the sermon series on the side. So whenever I come and teach for you, I've been teaching out of the book of First Peter, and we've been walking through that. I couldn't tell you how many sermons I've done so far in that series, but we've made it to chapter 2 at this point. So we've done it. We've made it somewhere, okay? And so what we're going to do this evening is just kind of look at some more of the writing that Peter has for us in his letter. He's writing a letter to persecuted people all over Asia Minor, and he's writing from Rome. And so uh, really at this point, um, many of these churches are beginning to like kind of write down the letters of the apostles and, and, and the epistles and things like that, and they're sharing them, and they're sharing them with other house churches. And so by 200-ish, 300-ish AD, many people, many, many Christians had already read the book of First Peter. They had already read this letter that he had drafted for these people. And so this is a very universally known and well-loved letter that has been preached for thousands of years at this point. And so I'm excited for us to dig in today because this is the part of the letter where Peter is going to start transitioning. Okay, He's, He has been talking about our identity, right? So he, he opens up the letter by with this beautifully poetic language, and he says, you're part of a new family, and you have a new hope in Christ, and that's what you're being invited into. And then he talks about how we are we are a royal priesthood, a chosen and a holy generation, and that we're on this road to holiness together, that God has given us this hope, and we're on this road to holiness, right? And he says that we're part of a spiritual temple, offering spiritual sacrifice. He uses these beautiful images for describing the church, and then this part of the chapter is when he starts to kind of change his tune a little bit, and he says, because of those things, because of your identity in Christ, here's how we're required to live. Here's what Jesus is asking us to do with our choices and with our actions. And that has put us where we're at in 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's a really, it's, it's going to be an interesting piece of scripture because uh, this is what I love about the word like this is many times it's a Pandora's box. Okay, you're, we're going to read a very simple line of scripture. We're going to read something that seems very straightforward and simple to like understand or get to. However, it has far-reaching implications, and it means so much more than we could have understood at first. And the more we read it, the more we realize it's tied to like these 17 other stories and two teachings from Jesus and all, and all of this philosophy and all of these things. It has deep implications for us. And so that's the type of scripture we're going to read tonight. Are you guys okay if we read that? You good with that? Okay, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And all my blabbering about telling you to get there, I didn't turn there. So give me just a second. There we go. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 say this. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you are free, and yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. And so this passage of scripture doesn't sound particularly complex, right? It seems straightforward. However, we're about to get to a place where it doesn't seem straightforward and simple, I promise. And so here's, here's what Peter has done. He has introduced this idea of submission. Okay, now submission, that word, we don't love it in the American West where we live on freedom, right? That is like the, the idea that we cling to. That's what in many ways our country is about. That's what our culture is about. It's about freedom and liberation, right? So the idea of submission 
Probably not used all that common in our vernacular. We don't really talk about being submitted to things other than like, you know, seatbelt laws that are really ridiculous, you know, because people lobbied against politicians to make us wear seatbelts all the time, right? We don't like the idea of submission. It's generally something that we kind of put to the side in favor of our liberation and our freedom. However, this idea of submission is something that is deeply apparent and important in the teaching of Jesus and also the practice of Jesus. And so we're going to chase this idea of submission through the scripture tonight and what it truly means and what it truly looks like because it is more than just uh, an out there concept or a theological idea. It is a practice that Jesus practiced and that he requires and calls us to do. So let me start with just a simple, straightforward definition of what does submission mean. Let's start with the basics. This is Merriam-Webster, cut and dry. This is what they say submission is. This is what it means. To yield oneself to the power or authority of another. That's it. That's it. That's the black and white version. That's the simple version. That's, that's all it is, is to to submit ourselves, to yield to another person who has more authority or power than us. However, in the biblical imagination, when Peter is writing about submitting to one another for the Lord's sake, he is talking about something that is way more nuanced, that has way more gray area in it, that has way more to do with the lives of Christians than simply whether we obey or don't obey somebody. It has far more to do with how we live than just that. So this weekend... Let's, let's create a definition together. Let, let's talk about this practice of submission together. Point one is simply this, that submission is a spiritual practice. You've already heard me use this word a few times this evening, that submission is a practice. And all I mean by that is that it's not just a one-time isolated action. It is something that becomes a part of who we are, becomes something that we practice every single day as a part of how we just simply live life. That's what submission is about. And submission is actually a spiritual discipline, would be the terminology. It is a spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline. Now, if you're familiar with the spiritual disciplines, then maybe you understand some of the terminology there. But, but let me give us just a basic idea of what the spiritual disciplines are. This is what prayer is. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Studying scripture is a spiritual discipline. Even tithing is a spiritual discipline. If you've been around the church for a very long time, maybe you've heard of silence and solitude as a spiritual discipline for our souls, right? Maybe you've heard of meditation over the Word of God. Maybe you've heard of contemplative prayer or listening prayer. Maybe you've heard of these disciplines and these practices uh, that, that in many ways seem archaic sometimes or, or seem like something that, oh, those people over there do, but that we don't really do. Um, however, these practices, all of them in their entirety, they are designed for us to find freedom by finding Christ. They are designed to bring us closer in relationship to Jesus so that we might find freedom. And here's where kind of the, the wall there comes for us when it comes to this idea of spiritual discipline. I know that uh, I've been having to do some breaking down of the, raw, of the wall when it comes to spiritual disciplines over the last year or so is because what we tend to do as humans is we really like rules, whether we like to obey them or disobey them, whatever, we kind of find middle ground that they are necessary. So we, we like rules, we like commands, we like structure. And so what many Christians have done over the ages is taken these spiritual disciplines or practices and made them into law. We've made them into commands, and, and we've uh, made it kind of, kind of the whipping post by which we say, oh, well, you don't pray enough, so you must not love Jesus. Or you don't, you don't read the word enough, so you must not really be okay with this Christianity thing. You may not be actually interested, even though you say you are. And we make these spiritual disciplines kind of into something they're not. They're not the standard by which we live or are a good or bad Christian. No, they're about more than that. They're about finding freedom by finding 
Christ, okay? The disciplines are not about the disciplines. They're actually about the freedom that this discipline can bring, and that's what submission is. Submission can lead us into freedom, and I know that those two ideas are in conflict with one another. I'm aware that the idea of submission is yielding to another person, and freedom is like supposed to be, you know, like not having bondage on you. I know that those two ideas are in conflict. We're going to get there in just a moment, but that's what we're here to explore tonight is that tension. What freedom does submission actually bring us to? Because it is a practice that Jesus had. It is a practice that he calls us into. And so this idea of submission, the first thing that we must consider when we come to it is that submission actually shows us what we actually believe about Jesus. It actually shapes our theology, right? Because if, if we're considering submitting to other people, if we're considering making that a part of our life, it, it actually comes from the practices of Jesus. It actually comes from a place of importance because Jesus begins this movement of the church and this movement of the Holy Spirit and all of these things to, to create the church that you're standing in right now with a really, really crazy act of submission, the cross. It's a radical act of submission that he takes the sin of the world onto himself and dies for us and then resurrects after three days, right? That's the story. And that is the deep, radical version of submission that Jesus actually calls us into. And so what we believe about submission and whether we uh, are, are kind of against it or for it kind of reveals what we see, how we see Jesus. Do we see Jesus as the victor or conqueror that has come with a sword? Or do we see him as the suffering servant who came to give his life in a radical act of submission? That's, that's kind of where these tensions really begin. And so most of us have also been exposed to a, a gross idea of what biblical submission really is. We've been exposed to something that, that really isn't the true version of submission that Jesus would have taught. And so there are very few things in human history that has put people in bondage like religion has. And there's nothing in religion uh, that has done more to manipulate or destroy people than a misunderstanding of the practice of submission. It is how people have been manipulated through time. It is how people have been controlled, how people have been reigned by fear in the kingdom of God, even though God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so submission can be something that is grossly misunderstood. We have to look to Jesus' words directly about it. I can tell you that the image that I had for many, many years of, of this idea of practicing submission was that I would end up becoming like one of those monks from the 12 and 1300s that just ran around not talking to people with like a skull on my waistband, and I had just, you know, destroyed all of my uniqueness and identity, thrown it out the window, none of it matters, and I'm just going to sit here and be angry and kind of mutilate my body for the Lord. That's kind of where I thought the idea of submission led us to. That is not the picture that Jesus gives to us. The teaching and the lifestyle of submission is sprinkled all through Jesus' teaching and all through his thought process and all through his stories. And so the first place uh, that, that really sets the groundwork for submission and what that means and what that looks like is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And it says this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so the, the bedrock of the, for the idea of submission is self-denial. It is self-denial. And I know that Mark chapter 8, 34 has really become a rallying cry for the church in many different areas of the church. I know that I have used it as a rallying cry. And you know what? I normally skip over one of the parts of that verse. I say, take up your cross and follow Jesus. I know that I've preached that to you in this room. And I skip the first part. Not always on purpose, okay, just because I'm not thinking about it, but one of the rallying cries of the Christian community is self-denial. 
deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Self-denial is the bedrock of submission, not self-hatred, not self-rejection, but self-denial. And we'll, we'll give some more definition to that as we go. But, but Jesus carries this theme of self-denial as part of submission in, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm very excited that, that Pastor Charlie is teaching through uh, the Beatitudes and some of that. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount as a youth group for like six or seven months at this point. We, we've been walking through what it looks like to actually live in submission without saying the word submission. It's really interesting. And so in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. That is denying the self. That is coming to a place where we no longer uh, carry anger towards someone even if they are angry towards us. That's self-denial. Because our desire would be to what? To wrong those who have wronged us, right? But then even in the same scriptures, Jesus is saying about retaliation, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him to the left also. He says, don't give in to retaliation. Become a person who would use self-denial to grow yourself closer to me. That's what Jesus calls us into. And then so self-denial is kind of the bedrock for the idea of submission. And then in, in a teaching that Jesus does in Matthew chapter 20, he takes the idea of self-denial and the idea of service, of serving one another, and he ties them together at the hip. And it really completes this picture for us of what it looks like to live in submission. So let me read that to you uh, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 30. Jesus says, you know, that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Another very famous passage in our Bibles talking about self-denial, about putting aside our own will. And these are the baseline ideas for submission. It's a practice of self-denial and of serving others. That is the bedrock for our understanding. And I know that this sounds so absolutely foreign to us in a day and a time where the pinnacle of like human thought and philosophy right now is self-actualization and it's self-fulfillment and it's becoming your best person now. And, and, it's, and it's actualization over and over and over again, us trying to find the best version of ourselves where in actually Jesus sounds kind of tone deaf when he says, no, I'm actually telling you to deny yourself. I don't have time to talk about it, but I'm going to get the gears rolling here in your mind. It's actually interesting that in self-denial is the only place that we find fulfillment. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus is the only place that we find true life. Jesus says himself that whoever would lay down his life for me will find it. In self-denial, we can find life. And so these are the ideas that build submission for us. It is self-denial and it is service. And so a good definition for self-denial from Richard Foster, a theologian, uh, he says it this, self-denial is simply a way of coming to understand that we do not have to have our own way. That's self-denial. That's, that's the understanding we're coming to. We no longer live in a way where our joy is dependent on getting what we want. That's the idea. And in a sense, self-denial is freedom. It's freedom from, from having our joy dependent on getting what we want. And so let me recap for us before we go any further. This is what I'm saying to you. Submission is a spiritual practice designed to bring us closer to Jesus and into freedom. I know that that idea sounds backwards to you. And so that's our second sermon point. Submission is freedom. Submission is freedom. And I know that I keep running this word by you, and uh, you're probably like, uh, uh, what's that... Uh, 
What's that quote from The Princess Bride? He says, somebody says to Inigo Montoya, you keep saying that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay, that's probably what you guys think that, about freedom, the word freedom tonight, okay? Because you're like, Eli, you keep saying this. I don't think you know what freedom means, okay? Let's talk about freedom for just a moment because we have to come to an understanding of how the New Testament writers use this idea of freedom and what they're calling us into, okay? So freedom can be described in many different ways, okay? But, but there's two kind of specific perspectives that I want us to walk through when it comes to freedom. There's the positive perspective and the negative. So there's positive freedom and negative freedom. And, and neither one is good or bad or right or wrong. It's just the difference in what they're trying to communicate. So negative freedom is the freedom from something. That's negative freedom. Negative freedom is the freedom from. It's the removal of any and all constraints from your choices. That's it. It's the removal of obligations. It's the removal of people telling you how you can or can't make your decisions. That's it. That's negative freedom. And positive freedom is the freedom for. It's the freedom for something. And this is not just permission to choose things that you want, but to choose what is good or what is righteous. That's freedom for. That's the positive freedom. Now, negative freedom is kind of um, really the modern way that we view freedom. And so let me just go ahead and share with you a wise theologian named Princess Elsa uh, in the movie uh, Frozen. Okay, here's how she would define freedom. Okay, I can't sing for you. I'm not going to sing for you. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you the lyrics of the song. Okay, uh, she says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay, right. You get what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm doing? Okay. That's how she would define freedom, right? That's what she says it is. It is no right and no wrong. It's no rules. That's the idea of negative freedom. And in many ways, this is the modern way of looking at freedom. It is the ability to not have any obligations. It's being released from control. It's being released from constraints. Released from the constraints of any authority, whether that is God, whether that is a holy book like the Bible, or maybe that is commitment, like marriage. That's what we see freedom as. And so this idea of freedom as liberty or as being free from something doesn't really actually gel with the Bible. It doesn't actually really gel with what God is calling us into. It doesn't actually really gel with the idea of marriage. Freedom from something is not altogether freedom for us. It's free from constraint, but it is not free from pain. It is not free from sinful nature and sinful will that we have. However, on the other side of this, and this is, the more, um, this is the more New Testament biblical view of what freedom is, it is the positive freedom. It is freedom for something. So in Galatians 5, when Paul says, it was for freedom that you've been set free, he's calling us to righteousness. And then in Galatians 5, he goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, how we need to keep in step with the Spirit. And that's a beautiful image of being a gardener, putting our hands to the work and using our freedom for the sake of growing the fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what he calls us into. That is the freedom that the New Testament lays out for us. In fact, Peter would agree with this. In verse 16 of chapter 2, Peter says, For you are free, and yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Peter is on the same wavelength here as Paul and Jesus. For Peter, freedom is being able to do the will of God. It's the ability to do what is good in God's eyes. It's not the ability to do whatever we want. It's not the ability to do whatever we want. And in the same way, full circle now, we made it there. The practice of submission is also about finding this freedom and not enslaving ourselves. It's not about enslaving ourselves to others or enslaving ourselves to our own will. It's about 
It's about finding freedom. And so that begs the question, what exactly is the freedom of submission? What is the freedom we find there? And I want to explain this to you. I'm, I'm going to read it directly because I'll, I'll totally mess it up if I try to just do it extemporaneously. But, but this is something that has been really formative for me over the last year. I've been trying to study the spiritual disciplines. I've been trying to simply shape my life in, in how Jesus did, right? His rhythms, that's kind of a logical idea. If we want to be like Jesus, we should follow his lifestyle. Submission is one of those things. And so this is, this is the freedom of practicing submission, is that we lay down the burden of always needing to get our own way. I have struggled with this thought. I've struggled with it because I'm selfish, because I'm a person, okay? Because I'm married, because I have a brother and a sister and another brother, okay? Because I have family, because I have friends, because I have a job. So of course we struggle with this. But submission is the freedom that, that we find when we lay down the burden of always needing to get our own way. Richard Foster, that theologian I mentioned just a few minutes ago, said, he says this, the obsession that we have to demand things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society. And when you really think about it, the man is right. We are in bondage when we demand that life go our own way. And uh, not to call out my own generation or anything, but it seems very apparent with the people that I grew up with, we're very much into getting our own way and getting our own things. And if we don't, we cut off from you, we unfollow you, we go do something else, we start our own self-starter campaign. That's like my generation, okay? That's what we do, okay? But, but on a more personal note, and this example is obviously a little bit anecdotal, it's not like I have... Uh, facts about this necessarily. This is just what I have seen and what I've reflected on is that the majority, the majority of church splits and church exoduses when people leave the church, especially in the last two to three years, has far more to do with preference and the demand to get what we want instead of theology, instead of following Christ instead of what it looks like to be a church expression walking through a difficult time as a community. Self-denial and submission requires something of us. It means that when we, come, when we come to our neighbors, when we come to our community with our own demands, okay, we leave those at the door. We check our pride at the door. We actually ask the question, how can I serve you? That's the switch. That's the change in mentality that self-denial and submission leads us to. It's no longer about forcing people and trying to control them into doing what we want but it's actually asking how can we serve them, which is a totally upwards and backwards idea. And you know what I keep finding is the more I keep reading the Bible, what I think is reality is flipped backwards, and I keep learning that my perspective is totally wrong this whole time. That's what I keep learning, okay? Submission is learning to ask people how we can serve them, not demand something from them. But that's the freedom that we have in submission, is choosing to live this way. We're no longer required to be upset when something doesn't go our way. We now have the freedom to actually celebrate with people when something goes well for them in their life, even if it's not going well for us. We no longer have the obligation to be upset or frustrated when somebody gets the promotion that we wanted. We, we are now free to celebrate with others for the things that have gone well in their life. We're free to celebrate with others even though something is not well for us. That's the freedom that submission brings us to. Only by practicing submission do we have the freedom to do that. The freedom to let our will go, to not have everything our way, 
the whole time. Okay, third, third point for us this week is that submission is a way of life. So I know that I've already kind of said this in as many words throughout the sermon here this evening, but submission is a way of life. It's not just a one-time choice. It's not just a one-time decision. It's not just something that we do on Sundays or Saturdays. Sorry, you guys, it's a Saturday night crew. It's not just something we do on Saturdays, okay? It's not just, uh, you know, a one-time thing or a once-a-week thing. It, it has to become a part of who we are. Now, I want to make this practical and pragmatic for us because it's not like you can just like flip a switch and all of a sudden you're living in self-denial mode, right? It's, it's, not, it's not that simple. Uh, what we have to do is train our minds, bodies, emotions, hearts, all of those things, all of what makes us people and a person, we have to train those things into being the type of people that are okay with living in submission. And so it's a little bit like training for a marathon, I know that I don't look like a person who trains for marathons, okay? I'm aware. Let's do half marathon. That sounds more feasible. Is that 13 miles? 13 miles? Anybody know? 13 miles? Is that a half marathon? Okay, 13 miles. Let's say in six months you're preparing to do uh, a half marathon. You're preparing to run 13 miles. If you knew you had to start training tomorrow, would you start with 13 miles? No. No, you wouldn't. You'd start with like one mile. Or if you're like me and you're really adverse to running, you start with like half a mile or some sprints or something. Like, come on. Okay, that's what you'd start with. It's like one mile. And then after a couple of days, you'd kind of get into the rhythm. You get used to it. You add another half mile. Whoa, we're getting crazy at a mile and a half. And then, uh, you know, two weeks later, you like add, add enough to where you're at mile three. And then a few weeks later, you're at mile five. And then you push yourself into mile seven and you pray to the Lord to get to mile 10. And then you're at mile 11 and you're like... How am I going to get to mile 13? And, but you just keep training. And all of a sudden, the day of that half marathon, you can run 13 miles. And it's not because you just chose one day that you were going to, you just decided, you woke up and decided you were going to run 13 miles. No, it's because you trained your body to be the type of body that could actually run 13 miles. Okay? You train yourself in order to be that. That's what it's like to practice any spiritual discipline. But, but for us with submission tonight, it is us consciously choosing to become the type of people who are okay with living in self-denial and living in service to others. And that's not one decision. That is 70 decisions in one day. And sometimes you're only going to make that decision twice out of the 70. Maybe some days you're going to get to making that decision five out of 70 times. And then maybe you're going to get to the point where you're, you're praying with the Lord, you're spending time with the Lord, and you've actually found this way that you can serve your community in a different way than you have before. And you begin to live in submission to the people around you, not because they're lording it over you, but because you love them enough to do that. And you are capable of finding the freedom that Jesus is bringing us in submission. You know, the person in my life who has exemplified this the most, who shows me the most of self-denial and submission is actually my wife, Grace. Okay? So, and that's not because she's a wife. That's actually because she's a CNA. Okay? And if you are a CNA, if you know a CNA, if you've been around the hospital in the last two years, being a CNA is not easy. Okay? It's not an easy job to do. You live in submission to the people who can't meet their own needs anymore. So Grace works at Parkview. She works on the oncology unit. Okay, so she works with very, very sick people, with cancer patients all the time. And she is um, helping them to clean things that because they're so sick, they can no longer clean. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, that's what she does. She lives in complete submission to these people. And then she comes home and she doesn't even complain about it. She doesn't even gripe about it. I promise you, I complain way more about her having to wipe people's butts than she does, okay? I promise you, I do. But she didn't just wake up one morning, get hired by Parkview, and all of a sudden was like, I'm going to serve people. 
She didn't just flip the switch. It would have been really easy to do that once the money hits your bank account. You're like, oh, you know what? I think I could probably try to, you know, I could serve some people this week. That's not what Grace did. She, she became the type of person who wanted to serve others. She became that type of person by spending every Sunday morning when she was a teenager singing in an old folks home with her dad and learning to serve people who could give her nothing in return. Do you know, that is the picture of what Jesus has done for us. That's the picture of the church. That's a picture of a community that lives in submission. That's the picture of a lifestyle of self-denial and practicing submission. That's what it looks like. It's not just flipping a switch one day. It is consciously choosing day after day after day to be a good CNA. We have all experienced a nurse or a doctor or a CNA who has lost their grace, not to make a pun, but they, they've lost their mercy for people. They've lost the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living is kind of the language we've been using. They've lost that. They have no sight of that. And so submission makes no sense. Self-denial makes no sense. Service makes no sense if you do not have a picture of what mercy actually looks like in your life. It makes no sense, but grace has become the type of person who is okay with serving people who can give her nothing back. There's one last thing that I want to talk about with submission tonight. Maybe two. We'll see. There's one last thing that I know I want to walk through. And, and sometimes, here's what the conversation for me has been. Whenever I have private conversations about spiritual disciplines and things like that, it's kind of the response is, oh, well, at what point do I get to stop? Right? Or, or at what point is it, is it limited for us? Okay? That's always the question, especially when it comes to something like this where it's like self-denial. So we're like, at what point do I get to stop submitting to others, right? And if that is our first question, my guess is we haven't practiced it yet. Sit with that for a moment. If our first question about a spiritual discipline or something that Christ is calling us into is actually, when do I get to stop? Has that idea of a new humanity really resonated in our hearts yet? Of course there's a limit to submission, and here's why I, what I'd say is when it becomes destructive to your family, to your health, to your relationship with the Lord. Nothing short of that. However, that can't be our first question. It can't be the first thing that we ask ourselves when it comes to how can I serve other people. Is that, well, at what point do I get to stop? Did Jesus ask that question? I don't want to be cliche, but did he ask that question? No. No, he didn't ask that question. He gave everything that he had. I want to make this pragmatic for us, kind of as we close. I'll land this plane, okay? As we close, I want to make this a little bit pragmatic. And, and so the idea of submission is something that actually Peter is going to go on to talk about for the next two sections of Scripture. Uh, and he's going to talk about two relationships that actually people kind of, we kind of tend to become uncomfortable with because um, this, the next thing he talks about is slaves and masters. Slavery. That's what he begins to talk about. Uh, not your working relationship with your boss, but slavery. And he says, all right, slaves, do you know Christ? Serve out of love for that person because you know God, right? That is an uncomfortable thing to talk about for anybody in Peter's day and our day, okay? But he calls us into radical submission through that, for the slaves and masters. And the next piece of scripture is about submission and marriage. And we love to use this passage to talk about position and power and authority and all of these things when it's actually calling us into submission, yeah, he has some specific things to say to women and some specific things to say to men. But what is he calling us into? Submission. Self-denial. Service. If those three things are not a part of your relationships, 
it's time to take a few steps back. It's time to take a few steps back and, and, and take an honest look at whether we are serving one another, if we are living in self-denial, if we are becoming the type of people who will practice submission. And so this week, here's my encouragement to you. Inconvenience yourself for someone else's benefit. I don't know how that looks for you. Help somebody with their car. If you have a truck, I'm sure somebody's already asked you this week if they could use it to move. Okay, I'm sure. I know that's not always fun. I've used Pastor Matt's truck like three times, okay? Inconvenience yourself for somebody else's benefit this week. What is, what is one person, who is one person that you know you could live in submission to and bless their heart through it, but you have chosen not to so far? That's what I want to call you into. Let's, let's practice submission together and find freedom in it through Christ as a community. We can do that. But it takes, it takes a choice. It takes choosing that and becoming those types of people. Why don't you bow your heads this weekend and I'll pray to close this. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite the prayer partners forward. And when they come forward, if you need prayer for anything that you're walking through in your life, we just simply want to pray for you. We want to come alongside you. We want to lay hands on you. We want to practice another spiritual discipline. We want to pray together as a community. And so if that's you, you just don't hesitate. You make your way up when I'm done praying here. Um, but for the next minute or so, I'd love to, for us to just reflect for a moment. And I, I have a few questions that I just want to ask you. And I know right now, uh, perhaps the, uh, the tendency for me, I know when we come to the end of services, is I just kind of look down at my shoes and I kind of think, uh, what's next? Where am I getting dinner? Uh, you know, when, when is this thing happening? Where am I going to drive next? How am I going to get home? Those types of things. What I'm asking you to do is for just the next minute, stay with me. Bow your head and close your eyes and think on these three questions and I want to ask you, reflect for a moment on what it would look like for you to live in self-denial this week. I know I'm considering what it would look like for me to do that. I'm feeling a little bit convicted right now about it if I'm honest. What would it look like for you to choose self-denial this week? The next question is, who is one person that I could serve this week, whether that's at work, home, school, I don't care. Who is one person that I could serve this week? I want you to draw an image of them into your mind, even if you don't like that person, okay? That's probably going to be the first type of person you think of. And that is a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit moving in you because you know that's your next step is serving somebody who needs to be served. The third question is one that I actually want you to carry with you this week. Think on it. Return back to this time and this moment. How could living in submission shape my life? How could living and practicing submission change my life? 